Welcome to Fertility Help Hub's podcast. I'm Eloise, the founder and editor, and each week we bring you expert interviews, reader stories, holistic products, and more. Subscribe to our podcast for free so you never miss an episode. Good morning. Today I am welcoming guest Kirsty Lee, who is 12 weeks pregnant after a very difficult journey getting there. And she's coming on today to talk a bit about her experience. Thank you for coming on. And um, obviously, huge congratulations. I know that you've just had your 12 week scan. Um, so, for everyone who's listening and struggling with their own fertility journey, I wanted to speak to you because I know you've been through quite the ringer in getting here and find out more about your personal story. So tell us a little bit about um, what happened from the beginning. First of all, thank you for having me. Where do I start? It's been a long journey. It's been over a year and a half or about a year and a half now. Um, My partner and I began um, planning a family about August last year. And we both thought, well, look, let's try naturally. I was 35. He was 31. Um, I am a bit of a cradle snatcher. He is younger than me. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided that we would just try naturally because obviously you sort of don't just automatically think, oh, there's something wrong um, with either of us. So we tried naturally and two months in we fell pregnant which was amazing and we were so excited and had obviously no doubts because this was the first time that we um, had been pregnant and we that slowly faded and we had miscarried um, very early on at about four weeks. Okay, so we picked ourselves up and thought, okay, let's keep going, let's try again. Um, about another two months or maybe two and a half months went by and we fell pregnant for the second time. And the second time, obviously, we were a bit hesitant on, you know, getting excited um, in a bit of disbelief because of the first time, obviously, miscarrying sort of takes a bit of your happiness away. So um, we went and got the blood test done and the HCG level came back at only seven. So as you would know, that's not really a viable pregnancy. Did you realise that straight away when the result came back? Yes. So I'd already done some research on HCG levels. And my doctor actually said to me on the phone, it's not viable. So um, with him saying it's not viable and myself knowing that with such a low number, it wasn't going to work, we were pretty devastated, as you can imagine. Um, So that was the second miscarriage within, you know, five months. So I said to my partner, there's got to be something wrong because it's obviously attaching to the wall of my uterus but it's not quite implanting um so we decided to go get some blood tests done i got my amh level tested and he got his um sperm done so he's completely fine in the words of the doctor he has great swimmers so um that was good news but i've got an amh level of only 1.7 which for me being 35 you would see a 1.7 in someone that's about 40 or over Nick, so my partner and I said, okay, well, I'm the issue. We're going to need some help here. Let's find an IVF clinic here in Melbourne. So that's what we did. And the first thing that they did was let's um, do a laparoscopy, hysteroscopy, and a DNC. So with the first two miscarriages, they obviously just came away with my period. So I didn't need to actually have a DNC. But when I went to the IVF clinic, they said, let's give you a complete clean out let's do a laparoscopy, let's go in there and check if anything's wrong, let's have a look at your lining. And they did find some scarring and some polyps. So um, she removed them 
And then my partner and I thought, well, if the polyps or the scarring was just an issue, we thought, well, you know, that might have been the problem. So we were sort of a bit more more positive that maybe perhaps the next time we try or the first round of IVF would kind of work because you kind of think you've found the answer when they do find something wrong. And why did you think that IVF would be the solution if you knew that you were getting pregnant naturally? Well, because of the AMH level was so low and then by the time we'd tried for five months, my 36th birthday was coming up. Sort of age and time, even the IVF clinic said, you're turning 36 and your AMH is 1.7. Do you really want to try for another six months? Yeah. And... You know, I agree, if, you know, we don't have time, something you can't get back. No. And time isn't on your side with age and AMH. And also previously having two miscarriages, I thought, I just need to help, so, <laughs> a bit of help from science. We know we can make an embryo because we made, made two of them naturally. If I just get a bit of help with it implanting, you know, from maybe a bit of medication, um, et cetera, et cetera, I just said to my partner, let's just do it. Time's not on our side. We both wanted to have a child so badly. Um, So, yeah, a few factors came into it, but they would be the two major ones with the AMH and my age. So the next, this this is a little lengthy intro, um, but just for all the listeners out there, just to get a sort of an idea of my, my story. So what we did next was we did our first round of egg collection and we got 10 eggs nine fertilized and seven made it to day five, which is very interesting because with such a low AMH, they're quite good numbers. And also for, you know, nine to fertilize and then seven still to survive. Usually I think they say the percentage rate is 40% don't survive to day five. Were you feeling very optimistic at that point? With the good news of how many eggs we collected and embryos we made, we were feeling quite optimistic um and we did know we can make embryos because we made two of them naturally so you know the fact that we made seven fertilized um sorry nine fertilized and that seven made it i I thought okay well my egg quality can't be too bad because the quality has been good enough to fertilize so we were feeling good with the fertilization rate the survival rate I'd had the laparoscopy, I'd had the clean out done, I had the scarring and the polyps removed. I thought, great, collection, let's do a fresh transfer. So we did a fresh transfer and it didn't even implant. So that was kind of a, you know, we sort of were going on this uphill winning streak. Did you transfer Um, two or one? We transferred one. My fertility clinic didn't actually want to transfer two. Did you want to? That's a good question. I did in one way because we had seven. We had seven embryos. Um, but with their advice saying no, um, I guess we just went with what you think, you know, their best opinion is because they're, they're the experts. There is a higher risk transferring, transferring to. There's a higher risk with twins. And there's a higher risk because I'm over 35. And the two-week wait is just so difficult, isn't it? And then to get, because I've been there too, to get a, a negative after that two weeks is just heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, some women say it's better to 
for it not to implant, then have it implant and miscarry again. Um, but I just think all of it's just devastating, no matter which path you go down. And especially because we were sort of on such a positive, you know, road at the, at that time of thinking, okay, we found the issue, we fixed the issue, we've got great numbers, we've got great embryos stored in the freezer. Let's keep going on this positive roll. And then it just sort of all came to a stop and it's so devastating. And it's almost like having another miscarriage almost because you've lost that embryo as well. And as you said, you've lost that time and you feel like you're back to square one. Absolutely. Back to square one. So by the time we'd had the two miscarriages, the laparoscopy, laparoscopy, so the surgery, then egg collection, you know, we're, we're sort of already seven months into trying and into, into the year of roller coaster emotions. And at cost as well. And the cost, exactly. I mean, surgery, egg collection, medication, scans, um, your time off work, mentally, you know, you've, you've used all your emotions and, and your energy and everything. And, and when something's positive and then you get a negative, it's just such a crash, mm-hmm. sort of a crash back down to earth. Um, of a realization that hey gosh this might not work absolutely and so what happened next so then we thought okay let's pick ourselves up we thought that you know chances are I think they say here in Australia that third cycle is the most successful cycle because one and two is a bit bit of a trial and error um, you know with medications and how your body responds so we're like okay let's just go straight into cycle number two so cycle number two, we started to do all the injections and my lining only got to 7.4 and the clinic that I was with at the time, because uh, I'll get into that because I have, have actually changed clinics, but this first clinic, they wanted to be my lining at around eight millimetres and it only got to 7.4. So at the end of the sort of the two weeks of doing all the injections and the medication and all the time and all the emotions again, she actually cancelled my cycle and I was absolutely devastated because you know again you're back to square one you're back to another month another waiting for your period to come because I mean no one who who on earth ever wants a period to come when it until it comes to IVF and you need to start a cycle and you so badly want your period to come she cancelled my cycle she wasn't happy with 7.4 Stephen and I were a little bit like well you know, it's only 0.6 off the recommended eight millimetres. Um, so we just took the advice of the fertility specialist and she said, we're going to have to cancel your cycle. So we cancelled it and back to square one, I had to wait for my period to come so we could start cycle number three. Now, before we started cycle number three, my partner had to go interstate to work. So at, originally he was only going to go for about, I think it was about four weeks. So I said to him, I've done these cycles before. I know what I'm doing. And at the same time, COVID had just started to come become really bad here in Australia and we began to go into sort of lockdown. So my partner and I knew that even if he stayed in Melbourne, he wouldn't be able to come to any of the scans with me. So I said to him, you go interstate and you work. I'm going to start the third cycle with still with my first clinic. Um, you know, pretty much I've got this babe, I can do it. So I went and started the medication on my third cycle. By this time, we'd actually upped my medication even more because you remember she's trying to get me to eight millimetres for my lining. 
Now, in these three cycles, we hadn't done any other tests. So at this stage, my clinic presumed that it was my lining all along that why the embryo wouldn't quite implant and, and stay. Um, so it was at this stage, all the focus was on my lining. So we tried to get, we tried to get my lining more thicker. We'd up the medication. So my third cycle, we got to about 7.9, 7.8, 7.9. I was so excited. I rang Steve because at this stage, he's still away interstate working. And I said to him, 7.9, we're there, babe. We're going to transfer an embryo in five days. My fertility specialist is going to call me tonight so I can trigger. She's going to tell me what time to trigger. And then five days later, we'll transfer a five-day embryo, frozen. I went home that night and she rang me and I answered the phone. I was like, hi, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so excited. We're going to transfer in five days. What time should I trigger? And she said, we've actually missed your ovulation. I said, what? She goes, you've already ovulated. And I said, how? This is a medicated FET cycle, a frozen cycle. How, how do you miss someone's ovulation? That's your duty of care to make sure that the cycle isn't ruined and you don't miss an ovulation. And she said, what day are you of your cycle? And I said, well, I'm day 11. And she was just in complete shock because she's the fertility specialist. They don't actually book you in for your scans. That's the job of the actual clinic. She was devastated for me. She's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm going to investigate, but you should have been booked in for either, you know, day seven or eight. And then we monitor your LH surge to make sure that you haven't ovulated. You managed to get your womb lining all thick as well. Well, that's the thing. I was so... I was so happy and excited because we'd got my lining thick enough. And it's funny because I actually was quite sore in that cycle. I don't really get too sore from the medication, but I was really bloated, really quite sore, almost like ovulation pains. And I, and I thought, oh my gosh, I've been still injecting myself and my body's already ovulated. So I'm still stimulating myself when my ovaries have already ovulated. So my body must have thinking thinking to itself, what are you doing? I've ovulated and you keep injecting me and stimulating me. Oh, my gosh. So I was in quite a bit of pain and I actually said to her at the scan, oh, I kind of feel like I've, you know, I've ovulated. You know, I feel ovulation pains. And then I thought to myself, oh, well, maybe it's just pains because I'm on more medication and we've really pumped up my lining. So I didn't really think anything of it. And as a patient, I don't think I, I need to know no, that's what you're that's what you're paying for the care. Um, but did you were you taking injections to stop yourself ovulating? Well, yes, because we wanted to make sure we knew exactly when I'd ovulated to then count five days after to transfer a five day embryo. So those injections didn't stop you ovulating. No, not quite. So they sort of held me out, and then I would I would trigger to ovulate so we could. So we could plan the the ovulation. So uh, sorry. So we could plan the transfer. So they don't quite stop you from ovulating, ovulating, but they thicken up your lining. You know, obviously thick enough for us to go. All right. Well, I'm going to blood test you and check your ovulation. And if she thinks I'm going to ovulate, I can actually have something to not ovulate. Absolutely. So she could have given me an injection to not ovulate. Say if we needed one or two more days to get my lining thick enough, I believe that she could have given me something to not ovulate. But Mm -hmm. if she thought my lining was perfect, then she would make me ovulate, you know, by using science, by using a trigger. Yeah. I remember taking 
my medication to stop myself ovulating and, and the um, clinic saying, you know, keep it in your handbag because you cannot miss the, I can't remember how many times, whether it was once or twice a day, but you can't miss that injection. So wow. it's so key, isn't it, in terms of timing? And, and obviously, as you've sadly experienced something been going wrong and having lost all that time, your body not knowing what's going on and having to start again. Yeah, well, that's right. So they had just missed my ovulation and she was so apologetic. And I, my, by this time, my partner had extended his time working interstate because I said, don't come back to Melbourne. We're in lockdown. So if you come back here, you're not going to be working. And, you know, this, this state's full of COVID. Where he went, there was no COVID cases. So he was still away. And out of the, he ended up being away for 89 days, in wow. fact. And out of 89 days, it's funny how the universe works, but it was the only day that his phone had died and I was hysterically crying and I needed to call him and tell him that they'd missed my ovulation and I was so emotional. And I think it made me stronger looking back now that I sort of dealt with all the emotions and all the, all the bad news, um, you know, for those first few hours on my own because I couldn't get through to him because his phone had died. Um, you know, every little bit of bad information makes us all stronger. Um, and so what happened next? Did this clinic take responsibility? Did you carry on with the next cycle? Well, my fertility specialist took the responsibility and said that she'd investigate. And then when I spoke to the clinic, they were eventually said, okay, well, you know, we'll give you the next cycle for free, but they still wanted me to pay for the one that they ruined. And I had expressed my feelings of I wouldn't be doing another cycle if, if you guys hadn't, if you'd done your job properly and hadn't missed my ovulation. And this was back-to-back cycles. Like we weren't giving ourselves a break. We wanted to have this baby. We thought it was just a lining issue. So let's just keep going. And um, that was pretty much the icing on the cake with that first clinic. They'd had a few other things that, that had gone wrong. And just ruining my cycle and missing my ovulation, I said, you know, you want me to pay for the one you ruined, but you want to give me a free one. So you're not really giving me a free one. You're just kind of using my money for the one you ruined and just putting it on this one because they can bulk bill any cycle. So I just said I would like to transfer over to another clinic and I would like to transfer my six because I had six embryos left at this time because we'd obviously used one as a fresh. Mm -hmm. So that was three cycles down. My partner's still away. I'm doing it all on my own. Thank God for technology and FaceTime and texts and calls because that's the way we, we stay connected. And it was all exciting and I had found a new clinic. This clinic was it is a boutique clinic. Um, so many great reviews. And I'd sort of look back now and think, oh, gosh, why didn't I go to them at the start? But you can't sort of look back and have regrets because you'll just sort of hang on to those regrets, don't you? Definitely. Otherwise. So what's your advice for someone who's changing clinics or looking at changing clinics? Oh, gosh. Look, if you're like me, I, I don't like change. I'm a homebody. I have my routine. I have my things that I do every day. Um, and, you know, and change sort of gives me a bit of anxiety and makes me feel a bit uneasy, which I'm sure it does for many people. So my advice is, is that no matter how you feel or how anxious things can get, um, you know, even doing paperwork to change clinics, just the thought of that and the time. And, you know, I even got anxious just even telling them that I wanted to leave because I also don't like 
not disappointing people, but I don't like to say, well, I'm not really happy with your service anymore. Um, but my advice is, look, it's the best decision I ever made. And if I didn't change clinics, I would not be where I am right now. And, you know, if you're not happy with your clinic, it's your body, it's your life, it's your baby that you want and nothing should stand in the way of you you and this child. So if you want to change clinics and you're not happy, you just need to find all your strength and you just need to do it. You need to change. You cannot stay in your comfort zone, if, if that's what I can call it, um, because, like I said, if you're not happy, you need to change. You're not getting the answers or you're not getting the care because you're paying these people a lot of money. And even if you're going through the public system, you're still worthy of getting great service. Absolutely. So I, I just think if you need to change, you just got to do it. Just take that leap and do it because, you know, I changed to a different clinic and first thing that she did was um, test me for NK cells and my old clinic actually didn't even believe in the natural killer cells that we all have. She's apparently written a thesis on it and, and, and believes that, you know, that having an endometrial um, biopsy and testing for NK cells is, is, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't believe in it. So, you know, even that changing clinics, I mean, could I have, what happens if I had stayed with my original clinic and just kept doing round after round and it wasn't even a lining issue? Mm-hmm. I believed this day the issue was the natural killer cells. They, what they do for anyone listening that's not quite familiar with them, we all have NK cells in our body, but for some people, if they have a higher level, anything that's foreign in your body, so i.e. an embryo, it tries to kill off that foreign object. So it, you know, my new clinic put me on these blood thinners and therefore, you know, my body doesn't think that the embryo is a blood clot and try and get rid of it. So my problem might not even have been a lining issue because my new clinic, we also transferred a frozen embryo and my lining was 6.7. Has that resulted in your pregnancy now? Absolutely. She got me pregnant the first time Mm -hmm. and I'm now 12 weeks pregnant from going on an immune protocol which was the blood thinners and the steroid, the prednisolone, and transferring on a 6.7 lining because she said I had the three layers that on your uterus that, you know, are required for a successful embryo transfer. Now, you think back from when I just said before on my second cycle, my old clinic counselled me on 7.4. I've just become pregnant on 6.7. Mm. I also had natural killer cells investigated and took the same medication as you. And that actually resulted in my first um, uh, successful cycle. And I, you know, I can't guarantee that that was why at all, but um, I, I am an advocate for exploring all options. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've expressed this before. If your clinic doesn't believe in a test, I feel like they should put their beliefs to to the side and if any test can possibly get you pregnant that should be their main outcome Mm -hmm. their main focus is to get us pregnant not to push any of their personal beliefs on us so my old clinic didn't believe in nk cells well i look back and think well maybe that's why i didn't get pregnant but isn't that your goal isn't that why i'm paying you to get me pregnant so if you're anyone listening that if your clinic out there there doesn't test for everything, change clinics. When you had the early miscarriages, did you have any symptoms? 
Um, do you mean pregnancy symptoms or symptoms of, of miscarrying? I know this sounds silly, but did you feel pregnant or was there something that you thought, okay, something's not right here? Yep. So it's funny because the two um, early miscarriages that I had, I had more intense symptoms of being pregnant. So my breasts were so sore, I could hardly put the shower water on them. That was one major symptom. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant because my breasts are so sore. Oh, I was going to the toilet like so many times and I was like, this is really odd. Whereas this time, now that I am pregnant, the breasts just didn't really hurt much. And that's why a few times I sort of, you know, asked the community, do your symptoms come and go? Because I think after sort of week five or six, my breasts just stopped hurting and they never had hurt as much as they did when I had the miscarriages. So it's funny being pregnant for such a short time and losing it. The symptoms were so intense and so, um, uh, so high. And yet this time I don't really have many symptoms, but yet I'm so pregnant. The last time I did a HCG test was 122,000. Um, and I've had so many scans that little peanut is wiggling around and, um, perfect measurement right on my due date time. So I'm highly pregnant 12 weeks, but just my symptoms are nowhere near as they, what they were like when I miscarried. So I find that really strange. Oh gosh, I think you can't put money on the price of becoming pregnant. I mean, IVF is already pricey enough. Why hold back if that extra test can get you pregnant? Because you just don't know. You don't know which test you need and which test, you know, you don't need, but you just got to sort of try and not look at it as a money maker. You just sort of need to look at it as like an elimination process. Yes. Yeah, definitely. If I don't have that gene, at least we tested for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mine actually um, showed that I have a blood clotting gene, which my mother has. And I got, she got told that it wasn't hereditary. So me and my brother and sister wouldn't have it. And the doctor got it wrong. We do, we do have it. Um, so my children need to be tested for it because it means that I have to be really, really careful flying. And I had to be on blood thinners throughout all of my pregnancies, the whole way through. Um, so I had a very battered, bruised stomach, um, cause it was like from whatever before the transfer, um, or just after the transfer, I can't remember until post-birth, like eight or 10 weeks post-birth. So that was nearly a year of being on them. Wow. So you're good at injections. <laughs> you're good at injections. Then. They still sting. They still sting, don't they? Yeah, yeah they do. I've done over, t- I think, 200 now, um, you know, over the four cycles. And they still sting. They still bruise. Um, but I guess every injection is, is worth it, isn't it? Definitely. And I really, I re- it really resonated with me, your post the other day, about weaning off the meds because no one ever talks about it. And it's really scary because the goal is to get pregnant, but then it's, you're kind of left in limbo, aren't you? Well, that's right. And as I said in my post, I feel like it's my comfort blanket. You know, these medis- I feel like the medication got me pregnant. I feel like it's keeping me pregnant. And I did mention this to my obstetrician and they said, no, your body is keeping you pregnant now. And I just, like, it's so hard to believe, you know, and it's something that you've taken every day and it goes hand in hand with becoming pregnant when it comes to IVF. And like you said, not many people talk about weaning off medication. I haven't really seen many people, you know, write about it and and share their experiences. So I just thought, oh, I need to put this up because... I'm feeling quite scared and anxious and, you know, what, what's everyone else feel like? Because 
at the start when you take the medication, you don't think about stopping it. So that never sort of comes into your mind. And now that I've been told to wean off and stop, I was like, oh gosh, this is another hurdle that I just didn't even think of. Mm, totally. Thank you so much for your honesty. And you know, I love following what you do. Um, and the links here for Instagram um, are up um, because you are, you know, you do talk about things that need raising. And it's great in the community to hear real stories and real people's thoughts. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I try to share a few tips and tricks and my, you know, my two week weight symptoms. And I shared what I ate and what I did differently. Um, you know, if I can share all those things and help someone else out, then, you know, my, my job is, is done. I've helped someone else. Um, and you know what, sharing my own story though, because so many people can relate, you know, you guys have helped me so much because I've had so many questions as well. And I don't like to feel alone either. You know, I think sometimes, oh my gosh, am I the only one that is freaking out right now? Um, you know, even talking about the spotting, um, the other week when I had a bit of spotting, I thought, how common is this? Like, does, does everyone else spot? So I just thought I'd pop it up. I'm quite an open book on my Instagram, sort of real, raw. Um, nothing is sort of off limits. And as I said, like sharing my experience and having my own questions, so many women in this community have helped me and I do believe I've helped them back. So it's a great platform when used correctly. Absolutely. And it's a great community. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all you do.